welcome to On The Move, a podcast that explores the realities of migrants and refugees across the Middle East. On The Move is produced by BCARS, the Boston Consortium for Arab Region Studies. Hello and welcome back to On The Move, the BCARS podcast in which we bring you expertise and insights from scholars, practitioners, and policy experts from the Arab region. No one fits that bill better than my dear friend Rami Khoury. Rami is an internationally syndicated columnist with decades of experience in the Arab region. Rami currently serves as a senior public policy fellow, adjunct professor of journalism, and journalist in residence all at the American University of Beirut. He also is a non-resident senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School's Middle East Initiative. And of course, he's one of our founding minds, if you will, of BCARS. And he brings with him AUB as a founding institution as well. I'm so pleased to welcome Rami today to discuss his latest project, which he's calling Eroding Citizenship in the Middle East. That erosion of citizenship also reflects decades-long trends that Rami will tell us about, trends in the region that relate to inequality and poverty, among many other ills sadly facing the, re- the region. So Rami, ahlan wa sahlan, thank you so much for joining us. And please, let's just jump right into um, this new project you're doing on eroding citizenship. Um, maybe you could tell us why that name um, and how it intertwines with those other trends I, I briefly mentioned. Well, Ahlan Beek, thank you for having me. And uh, it's always a pleasure to, to be uh, in Boston at, at Northeastern and with BCARS and with you and Allison and all the team. Thank you. So the eroding citizenship name that we gave to this study is basically um, designed to show that the central dynamic in the Arab world, and and the title is misleading a bit, it's really the Arab world we're talking about, Mm -hmm. not the whole Middle East, so Israel, Turkey, Iran, we don't really address, but the Arab countries, the central dynamic that is defining the uh, slow degradation of these states and that explains a lot of the violence you see around you, the sectarian violence, the terrorism, the, the migrants fleeing, the criminal activity, the corruption, a lot of the bad things we see happening in the region are a consequence, I think, of years of citizenship that has been eroding, that mm. citizens who used to, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, and 70s even, and I remember the 60s and 70s when I was in college, uh, citizens who used to get from their state the things that they required as citizens. They got security, Mm -hmm. they got opportunity, (coughs) basic services, education, water, health care, a certain amount of voice that they Mm -hmm. could make themselves heard in public, and a certain limited amount of accountability and participation that political leaderships, even though they were quite centralized, were not tyrannical or very autocratic, that there was give and take between Mm -hmm. citizens and leaders until around the 1980s. And by the early 80s, everything changed, and the military men, and they were all men, took power in all of the Arab so-called republics, Iraq, Syria, Libya, etc., and with the oil boom, these countries were started to both develop at a superficial level with a lot of oil money being spent on building stuff, but also a tremendous amount of corruption, a lot of inflation, 
and then a, a massive deterioration over time in government services, the quality of education, healthcare, water, etc. And it was from the 1980s that you could see this deteriorating trend mm-hmm. um, in the quality of citizenship <clears throat> and therefore in the manner in which individual citizens and groups of citizens, because the Arab world is heavily configured uh, 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 among groups of people, whether it's tribes or ideological groups or religious groups or ethnic groups, but groups of people and individuals both started to feel that their central government was no longer serving them as they expected to be, and therefore they were loosening their identification with the government, and they were looking beyond the government and the state to other mechanisms of uh, identity. So people look to religion, Mm -hmm. all religions. People look to ethnicity. So if you were Circassian or if you were Kurdish or you were Druze, uh, you might highlight that part of your identity. People looked at ideological groups, uh, uh, and then tribal groups, of course, became very strong again. So that's what I mean by eroding citizenship. The quality of the link between the citizen and the state has been eroding steadily for about 40 years. Uh And what we've tried to do in this project is to document that through empirical data that we're getting mostly from uh, surveys and polls that have been done by groups like the Arab Center in Doha, the mm-hmm. uh, Arab Barometer, and other studies that we can uh, we can find and use, and the, the the results are really pretty frightening. And of course, the uh, proof of that, in many ways, what we're seeing is what you're seeing on the streets today in the Arab world, which is millions of Arabs in Iraq, in Jordan, and Lebanon, and. Algeria, Sudan, all over the place, millions of people out on the streets peacefully demonstrating, asking their governments to serve them, do their work, or get out. Mm. Um, And this is quite an extraordinary historical moment in the Arab world because it's the first time that you actually start to get, we've seen it in Tunisia, it's starting in Sudan maybe, and we'll see what happens next. Uh, uh, You're starting to see the assertion of citizen sovereignty, that, that, that the citizen is the source of sovereignty and authority in these countries. Uh, that's always been written into the Constitution, but nobody took those constitutions seriously, but now it's starting to happen. In some ways, people are talking parallel issues, like academic issues over here, and just practical, as you said, the people in the streets. I mean, can we look beyond these questions of social contract, authoritarian, you know, the deepness of the authoritarianism and talk about basic citizenship and how citizens are sort of waking up saying, no, it's almost like, I, I mean, you lived through much of the civil rights uh, movement as I did as a, as a young, as much younger people, but I, I remember these things of like, I am a man and uh, I have my dignity. I mean, these are African-Americans in the, in the case of the United States that, a, is there a parallel there? I've, I've heard you speak in, in other contexts about a parallel that you have seen. Can you, can you reflect on that for a moment? Do you, do you think it's a legitimate parallel? Or do you think it's just a nice hook maybe to get an American audience interested in what the heck is going on in the Middle East? Oh, I think very much it's a legitimate parallel to the point where I've often said in my talks and interviews and discussions with people that if you want to understand the sentiments about 
the sentiments of masses of Arab people who are struggling for their rights and they're out in the streets, you, you should listen to them uh, singing out the, the, the phrase, uh, free at last, free at last, Allahu Akbar, we're free at last. <laughs> because Allahu Akbar is God Almighty. Yeah. And of course, yeah. Martin Luther King said, God Almighty, we're free at last. And the yeah. people in the Arab world are doing exactly the same thing. They're, they're drawing on God's promise to live as, as decent human beings, equal to all other human beings in their own country. And uh, there is very much a civil rights struggle to this uh, question now, this moment in the Arab world. But the difference is that the civil rights movement was a minority of black people and people of color. Um, in, the, in our case, it's the majority of people yeah. who are subjugated by a power elite. And the power elite is different in every country. In some countries, like in Egypt and or Syria, was the military-based, family-linked power elite. In, in kingdoms, it's uh, the royal family with their uh, friends and cousins and guards and business partners and, and, and the corporate uh, capitalist, crony capitalist elite that is with them. And in some countries, like Lebanon, it's very much a sectarian oligarchic uh, elite where 18 different sectarian groups, religious groups, have a share of the public pie in seats in parliament, uh, government ministries, etc. And the power elite is different in every country, but the manner in which the power elite treats the population is not so different. In most countries, the majority of ordinary citizens now feel and have said so in the last 10 or 15 years, they feel that they're not treated fairly by their own state. Forget about mm -hmm. Arab-Israeli issues and foreign armies coming to attack us. This <clears throat> is purely internal. Yeah. It's about my rights as a citizen, and I'm being mistreated by my government and my power structure. So it's very much a process of a, a kind of an awakening of, of, of a majority of citizens who are mistreated and abused, uh, insisting on, on their rights. The data now tells us clearly things that were not known 15, 20, or 30 years ago because of polling and surveys and mm -hmm. other things. And what the data is showing now is that about two-thirds of the Arab population are poor and vulnerable. Two-thirds, that's two out of every three people. That's 260 out of something like 400 million Arabs. And it's um, it's uh, getting worse. It's not getting better because all the forces for pauperization are still there and are, are worsening. Uh, in other words, trade, tourism, direct foreign investment, government investment, savings, expatriate remittances, all of the things that have generated growth and a growing middle class between the 1940s and the 1980s, um, all of those forces are either stagnant or reversed. And therefore, the two-thirds of the Arabs who are poor and, 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 and vulnerable are probably going to grow to much more. The middle class used to be about 50-60% of the population years ago. It was about 44% about 10 years ago, and now it's measured as around 33%. So the middle class is shrinking, the poor and vulnerable are growing, and there's a very small super wealthy elite at the, at the very top. So what you're seeing in the region, broadly speaking, uh, so a few of the Arab, small Arab oil producers are, are an exception to this because they have small populations, lots mm -hmm. of money, and, and, and decent leadership, places like uh, Kuwait and, and Qatar and, and Oman and a few others. But uh, what you see uh, across the region, broadly speaking, uh, 
is the pauperization of the citizenry and the militarization of the state. And as citizens get poorer and poorer and more marginalized and more vulnerable, they feel more helpless. They also become restless and they try to push back. And the state turns to security measures to to keep keep things calm. So in other words, to to maintain stability. And this is how they sell their position to the Western powers, the U.S. and the Europeans and others. That we need your help to maintain stability because stability is good and uh, stability is good but only if stability also means basic human decency and equality and and and, and development for all and this is the problem now so when you look at the picture overall i would say that we have to describe the situation as one in which the three critical elements of the modern arab world which i call statehood citizenship and sovereignty those three critical elements are all essentially failing in a majority of Arab states. Not every single Arab state, but in a majority of them. Statehood, citizenship, and sovereignty are fraying or have collapsed in some cases. And we've seen it on the ground. You look at you know wars, uh, destruction of entire cities, massive migration there's uh, there's 60 million arabs that need assistance today 60 million according to the un <clears throat> that need assistance just to stay alive food shelter water healthcare uh, so there's a serious structural problem in the arab countries and it's a problem that reflects the poor governance that we've experienced essentially in the last 40 years. Because in the first 50, 60 years of our statehood after World War I, the Arab world did a pretty good job of development, broadly speaking. Uh, but in the last 40 years, we haven't done very well at all. And governments have been taken over by military regimes, which led to kleptocracies and corruption and massive inefficiencies and, uh, and um, theft of money. and all kinds of bad things and the result is what you have today two-thirds of your people can't feed themselves can't meet their basic needs <clears throat> and it's the young people who feel this the most they're the ones who are you know 15 18 24 years yeah. old they're graduating from high school and college they're not finding jobs uh, they go into the informal sector they get three four five dollars a day for doing the work that used to be done before by donkeys. Hmm. So you'd find people in the uh, yeah. marketplace carrying pack sacks of potatoes, yeah. Uh, yeah. which used to be carried by donkeys. So yeah. people are being doing donkey work, and they're being treated by, like yeah. donkeys by their own uh, government. So th these are some of the problems that, that we have, and w what we're trying to do is to measure this, to not, not so much to measure it, but to pinpoint how citizenship is eroding. And it's the relationship between the citizen and his or her state or the government system. And we're looking at data that's available and trying to find indicators that, uh, that show this. And then there's quite a bit of information now that's available. People's confidence in their government, people's respect for their judicial system, people's trust in their parliament. All going like down. All going down. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases, really high levels, 60, 70% mm. of, of lack of uh, 
lack of trust in the government, mm. uh, fighting corruption, for instance, you find 70-80% mm. of Arabs routinely say that their system's corrupt and it's never going to mm -hmm. change and it's, and it's corrupt in a way that is always going to keep them poor mm -hmm. and the small class of wealthy people rich. You get f averages probably around 50% of people saying that the, that they're not treated equally by, mm -hmm. that the government doesn't treat everybody equally. Yeah. So there are significant uh, pointers now to the nature of the citizens' views of his or her government uh, eroding and deterior deteriorating. Yeah. And this leads to very bad things because the citizen slowly detaches from the government and or from the state and from social structures and political structures and systems. And what this does is it, it leads to an internal corrosion in the political system and in the state system, which can lead in some cases to the fracturing of the state. So if you look at mm -hmm. a country like Somalia mm -hmm. yeah. or Yemen or Libya, I mean, those are some of the worst examples. Syria, Iraq, with the wars they had. I mean, yeah. different reasons bring these things about. In Iraq's case, it was an external uh, war by the U.S. But uh, even before the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, you had internal stresses in Iraq because of the brutality of the government against the Kurds and the Shiites. Yeah. And, you, and similarly in other uh, Arab countries, mm -hmm. uh, Somalia was the first Arab country to essentially uh, collapse. Um, uh, back in the late 80s, I think it was, mm -hmm. and uh, and the world didn't particularly care because yeah. it had lost its strategic importance. Um, and we're seeing this happening in other countries where this, the integrity of the country starts to weaken and then ultimately disappears. Mm -hmm. So countries might break up, they might become colonized by other countries. You look at what's happening in northern Syria, which is quite amazing. Between the Turks and the and the Russians, and <laughs> the people go into northern Syria now. And they say they say, "Oh, I'd like this piece, and I'd like yeah. this piece." And um, so yeah. uh, this is a to me, it's a sign of the failure of statehood and sovereignty. Yeah. And the lower end of that equation is the failure of citizenship, as felt mm -hmm. by the individual citizen. This is bleak. <laughs> this is a bleak picture, and um, I have. Wanna, I want to see if you, if you see anything uh, positive uh, that we could look to in five to ten years of some something positive coming out of this. The other question is just, isn't this also something quite inevitable? I mean, I've, I've only been observing the region for about 35 years, let's say. Um, and it seemed, to me, it seems like this is almost the inevitability of that of those authoritarian systems that just got increasingly authoritarian, coupled with the declining, as you say, services to the people themselves. That in the past it was sort of like, we'll take care of you, shut up, don't don't really vote authentically, don't really make too many demands on us, but we're, we've got you covered. Um, and something broke. And I guess it's the economy generally, but it's also, as you were pointing out, corruption and the concentration of power, the the lack of any pushback, and now we're seeing that pushback. Right. So let me go from there. This pushback and looking forward, is that is this the sign? I mean, are these the signs we're seeing that are actually the positive things that we can look forward to? Maybe in five to ten years, where they something will break and reform itself, or something will just evolve out of this into something a bit more positive and palatable to the structures that we've lived with for. 
30, 40, 50 years. We've seen this all over the world in recent years, whether it's blacks in the United States or people under the Soviet Union or people in South Africa or the Chinese in Hong Kong. People will put up with being subjugated for a long time, and then they'll fight back. At some point, they won't live in a dehumanized way, and they will fight back to the best of their abilities at the uh, risk of being killed, and many of them are killed, of course. <clears throat> so we've seen in the Arab world a trend where people put up with autocratic systems for 50, 60 years because their lives were improving. So what mm -hmm. happened was really in the early years of Arab statehood is that uh, citizens were affirming that, in fact, you could live by bread alone, that mm -hmm. as long as mm -hmm. you were getting material benefits, that you didn't need political rights or national glory or other things, you know, intangible ideas. But if you had food, medical care, you could build a house, your kids went to college, you bought a car, you're, if your life was improving decade to decade and you saw that your children's prospects were going to be better, then you sacrificed other non-material benefits of life. Mm -hmm. But what happened was as things progressed into the 80s and 90s, it was really the, the massive injection of oil money that ended up creating huge inflation and also corruption and uh, developed this ruling elite that was fabulously rich that um, militarized and securitized all aspects of life and basically gave uh, the people in uh, society gave them no hope of ever getting out of this. Uh, and therefore, um, people started fighting back. So the positive thing is that from the 1970s on, we can trace this, and I remember this as a young journalist in the 70s, human rights groups, women's mm -hmm, groups, student mm -hmm. groups, uh, refugee rights groups, all mm -hmm. kinds of people were environmental protection groups. There was a lot of dynamism in Arab society, but it couldn't get anywhere because the power elite had a total grip. And now, of course, we've seen, again, massive scales on a massive scale, human activism. So that's the positive side, that the mm -hmm. human will to live in dignity and freedom has always been there, has always expressed itself, and now is coming out in a big way. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think those of us who saw the positive signs coming out in 2010, 2011, those people got burned for the most part. And so we all kind of took a step back and we're like, okay, that didn't happen. And now we're seeing... I don't know if it's much the same or more of the same or more of something new, but I guess time will tell how different this is, how similar it is. But for me, it's again, it's like we're with those people. We're, we're encouraging those people. We're hopeful for those people who seem to have nothing but hope. Uh, even though maybe it's also out of hopelessness that they took to the, they take to the streets in <clears throat> Lebanon in Iraq and Sudan and, uh, so many places around the region, I guess. So anyway, so I think I, I do want to end on a hopeful sign. I think the, the point is we have a lot more to, time to wait to see what transpires from this. But it, it's always a hopeful sign when people take to the streets for their dignity and their respect and their rights as human beings, as citizens. I guess I'll come back to that word because that's really our focus. And I mean, your your paper, I know, is still being developed, and I'm excited to, to see what, what comes of it and to to tweet it and to share it and to put it on our websites and, and to link to all the other wonderful things you're doing on, on this topic. It's just a great uh, well, uh, let study. Me just, and, let me just add one more thing yeah. in terms of hopeful signs. What's fascinating is, to, if you look at the progression of how 
uh, citizens who are in the streets demonstrating for their basic dignity and their rights, how they're doing it. The first wave in the, um, the big wave of 210 to 11, most of them didn't succeed except for Tunisia. And then the second uh, thing that happened is you had Algeria and Sudan, and look how clever the Sudanese were particularly, and they even got the <coughs> military to agree on a joint council with one civilian more than the military. And now the Lebanese are learning the same thing, that you can't just go out there and demonstrate Mm -hmm. sing and dance, right. you need to have practical goals of changing bad systems and putting in place good systems. And there, each uh, uprising is learning from the previous one. Uh, so that's a very important uh, yeah. sign. Thank you so much, Rami, for sharing these thoughts. Um, and Rami's columns are regularly published in the New Arab newspaper, and you'll surely see him on Al Jazeera and Democracy Now! and CNN and BBC and MSNBC and so many places. You can follow Rami on Twitter, at Rami Khoury, R-A-M-I-K-H-O-U-R-I. Thank you for listening to On The Move. We will continue to feature perspectives with other regional experts on citizenship issues across the Arab region. We hope you will join us in exploring this topic. If you're not already, please follow us on our Facebook page. You can find us by searching Boston Consortium for Arab Region Studies. You can also follow us on Twitter, at bcars underscore Boston. And check out our website, bcars-global.org. That's bcars-global.org. If you'd like to support bcars, or join our network, or give us feedback on our activities or publications, please contact me, Dennis Sullivan, at d.sullivan at northeastern.edu. Thanks again for listening.